you got a Bible, I got one stop for you. Um, Proverbs chapter 18. You want to hover at the end of the chapter. I'm going to use one sentence to launch into a whole bunch of discussion today, a very simple discussion. I'm going to get there, 18, chapter 18, verse 21. Guillermo Marconi. Anybody know that name? Well, you, you know what he's done. He's kind of accredited with inventing the radio, telegraph. Uh, interesting story about the end of his life. Um, he used to have epiphanies, and the, kind of the end of his life, he, he actually thought that sound waves never stopped, that spoken words are out there somewhere. All we need is a piece of equipment sophisticated enough that can go retrieve these sound waves that are still bouncing around. And his biggest dream was that maybe he could retrieve the Sermon on the Mount. It's an interesting concept, but Marconi was wrong. Sound waves don't go on forever. In our atmosphere anyway, bouncing over, over space and air molecules, they end up dying. Sound doesn't last forever. But I want you to know something. Words do. Words go on and on and on. And some of you this morning know exactly what I'm talking about. Someone has shared a harsh word with you. Um, there's been an angry moment, a lazy statement, something not well thought out. Someone said something to you, about you, and uh, you can't forget it. And now, how great is it? We have technology with texts and blogs and emails and Facebook and whatever to help us misuse our words on each other. So that's really great. Um, but this is how long-lasting our words are. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless or useless word they have ever spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. That's, a, that's intimidating. Every word. Every word you've said to your son or your daughter, to your husband, to your wife, to your friends, your co-workers, to your neighbors, every word we've got to give an account to. What you and I say really matters. And it really matters to God, clearly. Uh, we have been plowing through selected scriptures in Proverbs for several weeks now. And in this particular book, there is almost 100 references to the tongue. It's used positive and negative. Uh, as the wisdom writer, the father to his son, talks about the mouth and the words and its impact. And as practical as this book is, this is not a deep book. This is simple as a father's instructions to his son. And yet here we have it for, for the church. It has more to say about our tongue and our words than any other subject, and it's not even close. So that tells me a couple things. One thing is that it tells me that the tongue is a problem. A father to his son, like, boy, you're going to mess this up with your mouth. Let me just weigh you down with how important this is. And then the second thing is it really matters. It's a, it's a really big deal. Now, you might be sitting here and going, well, is it really that big of a deal? Words? Just words? I mean, that's a minor offense in the grand scheme of offenses, isn't it? If we make our pecking order of sin, this one would be way below top 10. This is not that big of a deal. I read one pastor this week who uh, had been in ministry for years and years made this observation that in all his years of ministry, he's never seen an adulterous affair as scandalous and as horrendous of a sin that is, blow a church apart. But he's got a list of dozen and dozen of churches who are fractured because of gossip and slander, the tongue. 
And he's just making the point, which I think comes with the weight of the volume of discussion about words in the tongue that, that the proverbial writer gives us here, is that the tongue has more, way more impact than you could possibly fathom. Now, let me, let me show you one sentence we're going to launch into a discussion on this morning. Verse 21 of chapter 18, this one almost seems not real. It seems like an exaggerated way to make a point. But here's what Solomon says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, says it this way. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Really? Like life or death? It's that serious? Come on, really? really? Is this not an exaggerated thing to say? Well, I, I think it is true. Life and death are in the words. And here's why. Because words aren't just words. They're never neutral. And I'm going to tell you why. Je Jesus made it plain in Luke chapter 6 where he says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So they're not just words. They're, they're a destination to the source, which is the heart. And that's why it wounds us so deeply how we misuse our words. Words aren't neutral. Words reveal us. Our heart holds the truth about who we are, our, our convictions and our criticisms, our values, our affections, our hatreds, our arrogance. All of that stuff is seen by what we say, right? Here's, here's why words can bring life or death. Because everybody in here knows words come from the heart. You don't actually think it out, but you know it. That's why four simple words can change your world. I really love you. Those aren't just words then. That's why two words can kill you. You're stupid. And you know it's connected to your heart. Words aren't just words. Have you ever wondered why the prophet Isaiah, when he's in the throne room of God and he sees the Lord, says, woe to me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live around a people of unclean lips. Do you know why? Not because he had a lip problem. He had a heart problem and his lips revealed it. Every stupid thing he'd ever said in his life revealed his heart issue. I'm ruined because my lips expose me. They're a window to my heart. They tell the true story about who and what I am. My guess is if I just stopped right now and gave you some time, allowed the Holy Spirit to convict, uh, we would find probably many times, many places, many people that we have failed with in regards our tongue. We've sinned with our mouths. So clearly where we're going here, like every text in the scripture is to repentance and I'm praying for that. I have been praying for that in our lives but I wanna kind of help push us to that repentance and obedience and I've created two lists simply from these couple of words in verse 21. I wanna talk about death words and life words. Like I said before, this, is, this isn't gonna preach as much as it's gonna teach and this isn't complicated. This is just really simple 101 reality things about the effect of our tongue when we misuse it and when we use it correctly. So I'm hoping when it's all said and done, it does lead to repentance and obedience. But let's look at death words. What are, what are death words? Death words are reckless words. Death words are reckless words. Proverbs 12, verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. The NIV says it this way, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. The point of the passage just kind of paints a picture of a guy running around with sharp objects. He doesn't know where he's going. He's just swinging wildly. Someone's bound to get cut, right? 
when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't, didn't have a great close relationship with my brothers and sisters. Um, we, were, we were, you know, friendly with each other. Um, my parents thought it would be a good idea to buy my brother, I have three brothers, two sisters, a, 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 some darts, but not a dartboard. So when you're a young man in Texas with darts and a no board, you know what you do with those darts, right? You just chuck them in the air. And we'd go out in the backyard, and he'd just throw them randomly in the air, and they would come down randomly. Every once in a while, kindly, he might say, heads up, but not all the time, all the time. So you would find darts stuck in your back from time to time, the top of your head. Seems weird. Um, they explain some things, I understand. Um, but that's the picture. As soon as I read that, I go, well, that's what that's like. Words are like darts. You just chuck them. I don't care where they land. I don't care they, who, who they land on. Someone's, though, bound to get stuck with a uncareful word. That's what it's like. It's like random, reckless. Sounds like this. Proverbs 18.2, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, fools care nothing for thoughtful discourse. All they do is run off with the mouth. (laughs) Okay, stop for a second. If you're even the slightest bit self-aware, if you pay attention at all, you're you'll catch yourself with reckless words, the thoughtless words, when you see it in the faces of the people you wound. It'll just come out, start in the air, and you watch the face just fold, and you know, you know you did it. You know you said it, whatever it might be. I I feel like we've got some work to do. If we're gonna overcome our reckless words, then we're gonna have to grow our appreciation for thinking over our appreciation of expressing, which expressing is an American thing, right? It's trendy. Say it. It's in there, let it out. And yet I don't think we care enough of what the scripture says is you better engage this before you engage the mouth. Um, Ray Ortland, in talking about this issue of the American way of expressing ourselves, says this, as Americans, we do have the right of free free speech. In our political culture, we have the right. If it's a right, nobody can stop us to blurt out whatever we feel, but when we become Christians, we enter a new culture where we surrender that right. We stop blurting out whatever we feel. We bring our words under the judgment of God's word. The Bible says a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Death words are reckless words and you know it. Death words are also this, they're reactionary words. Proverbs 12, 16, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Proverbs 14, 29, one who is quick-tempered displays folly. I feel like there's several regrets in my life. This would be one of them. Reaction. I'm a quick reactor. I don't know what that is other than it's sin saying things and wounding another person. And, and maybe you can relate to this. You're so quick to react, you say things you don't mean in a way you don't mean. And you miscommunicate everything you're feeling anyway. You're just reacting. Death words are words that just come out, okay? Saying those extreme things are death to others. Death words are also this, they're many words. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgressions not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Let me just clarify what he is not saying here. This isn't a judgment about quantity. This is Solomon making a point about sinful flesh, that given enough opportunity, your multitude of words will end up wounding other people. This is the old adage, give enough rope, you'll hang yourself. Just because you're in the business of communicating and not thinking about what you're saying, someone's gonna get hurt. Amen? We know this is true. 
According to researchers, each person here opens his mouth about 700 times a day. In those 700 times, about 18,000 words. That's, according to them, about 54 pages of typed text. Through a year, that's almost 20,000 pages of typed text. And most of it, we don't even think about. It just happens. Just the quantity of unthought through words has this damning effect on our friends, our loved ones, and our neighbors. Jesus cares about everything, church. And I don't want to bury you under this, but the who, the why, the when, the where of our words matter to Jesus. They all matter to Jesus. And you can sit here and go, well, I'm right. It's needed. I don't care. We're going to go through this even more. But if you just simply react to everything, I guarantee you there's dead bodies all around you. These reckless words have wounded like darts in the air. When quantity of words, specifically our words, it's uncareful words, we end up like human bumper cars, you know? We're gonna hit something. That's what's gonna happen. Death words are many words without thought. Here's the last. Death words are dividing words. What are dividing words? They're words that create brokenness and division between brothers and sisters. The text gives us a couple of specific words in regards to that. These are words we don't like to talk about, but we're guilty of, gossip and slander. Um, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gospel, gospel, a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 20, verse 19, whoever gets, goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. <laughs> I find it, really powerful that when Paul is dealing with those who have rejected the truth about God in Romans 1 includes in the list of the outcomes of rejecting who he is gossip and slander this is what he says since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's that's just Paul saying this is what it is when people walk away from God. And so there's this category of acceptable sin. When I say things about someone else, when I traffic in their information, when I make things up or revel in their failure, that's what we're talking about. Gossip and, and slander. Gossip pretty simply is, is sharing information about people to others that have no business knowing it. It, it is, uh, I know, classic Christian, we don't gossip, we're just sharing. It's a prayer request. Um, so what makes our sharing gossip? Two words, intent and content, right? If your intent is, is to build yourself up, tear someone else down, that's the intent of the, of the conversation. The content is just revealing the embarrassing thing. Part of the wonderful story of the gospel, as God covers our shame by the wonderful good news of Jesus, we and how we treat each other about our sin is to keep the story as small as possible. It isn't to broadcast it. Gossip gets in the business of sharing the embarrassment, sharing the problems regarding other people. All the shameful details. We, we like to navigate in that. What is slander? Slander is lies. It's, it's 
falsehoods used to damage someone's reputation. God takes this so seriously, it made the top 10. In the Ten Commandments, the Lord says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, period. It's a big deal. To damage someone's reputation with something that isn't true, to bring someone under a negative light by some fabrication, that's slander. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, when talking to Peter, build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That, however, does not prevent Satan from trying to come against it. And one of his strongest mechanisms is to get us to be divided from each other. And how he does it is with words. What we say, what we don't think through, what we're not careful with, what we impose on someone, suspicion. So here's, here's a question for you. Have you ever thought about the division your words have caused? Have you ever thought about the people who aren't around anymore because of what you've said? People don't want to be around? Okay, you might be sitting here like every well-respected Christian. I don't, Brother Tim, I don't gossip. I don't slander. That's an evil. I don't do that. Okay, well, then let me bury you too. Um, You might not use your mouth to gossip and slander, but if you use your ears, you're still guilty. Proverbs 17.4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. God is not even a little bit fuzzy on this. Listening to gossip shares in gossip. It is what it is. You share in the sin. When... um, Psalm is laying out for us in chapter six of Proverbs the things that God hates, remember? He says there's six things that God hates, seven that are detestable, and he talks about haughty eyes, you know, a proudful heart, a lying tongue. He finishes with the one who sows discord among the brothers. Division. God hates division. He hates what separates us. And some of these things may be true, that we have no business sharing, and some of these things are fabrications or somehow interpretations of stories that are trying to manipulate others to think a way you want them to think. That is evil. Even if you hear it, you're, you're guilty. Just to make certain you know how serious this sin is, the command of Scripture in responding to those who cause division with the brothers and sisters is more strong than any other sin. You can look to the New Testament yourself and we have Matthew 18 to deal with a brother who sins against us. As bad as that could possibly go. (laughs) We go to our brother once and twice and then we treat them as an unbeliever. And my interpretation of that passage is we share the gospel with them, we pray with them, we reach out to them, we try to woo them to their senses. But when it comes to division, the Bible gets even harder. It says have nothing to do with these people. Excommunication. In fact, Paul says in Romans 16, avoid them. Titus 3, reject them. As a person, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. So be very, very careful what you say and, and what you listen to, all right? Those are death words, gossip and slander. Let me give you life words. Life words are encouraging words. Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no... Corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but one that is such as good for building up or profiting or encouraging the body. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word, an encouraging word makes him 
glad. There's a sickness in the human heart, and I know where the big word is sin. There's that. But there's also a, uh, an aversion to encouragement. Some of us are allergic to it. We just look at life through what's broken. If I'm not careful, most of what I see is the things that need to get better, not the things that are right. And the way I navigate with people would be to just crush others. Always looking at the wrong. Somebody, somebody didn't say the right thing or say it the right way. You're there to study where the faults are, where the problems are, what was missed. Now, I know it might be rare, but everyone in here has had a moment somewhere in our life where someone said the right thing the right way. We've been encouraged. How did it feel? What did it do to your faith or your day or your life? What did it do to be encouraged? What are you now based on encouragement that you weren't before? Most of us have stories like that. When I was a young, young man and I dreamed about ministry, I uh, was doing students a long time ago, some 30-some years ago, and uh, I had an elder didn't know him very well. He didn't know me. He just walked by in the middle of the foyer of the church one Sunday and said, you're not going to be a pastor and just left. It was like a drive-by. And before drive-bys were popular, it's like, bam, oh. And I was 20-whatever and I thought, well, he's an elder and I was staggered, you know. Um, but I was too stupid to quit so I kept trying. I had a pastor friend who was doing a student ministry thing and uh, I didn't know much. And he said, would you, would you want to teach students this week and it like oh my gosh really what an honor what a scary thing to do so I started studying like four years ahead of time and I worked really really hard and I, I'm super intense by personality anyway so just imagine fear and insecurity and never done it before the amount of intensity I put on something like that I mean adrenaline was coming out of my eyes I mean it was terrible so I get up and delivered you know two months of work and eight minutes flat I overwhelmed everybody in the room. And, and it should have, if you were going to try to help someone get better, hey, listen, you missed this, you didn't say that, you, you went too fast, nobody understood. My, my friend just said, they could tell you were sincere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, I'd kill them if they didn't trust me. I was just so into it, you know. He didn't say one thing negative. And all that did was make me get back on the saddle and go, man, well, I better fix that, better fix that. Every one of us have words, moments like that. You know, when you uh, look some in the eye and say, I want you to know what you do really blesses me. I mean, really. And there's so many versions of ministry going on in our church and some, some people are off in a corner somewhere doing something that no one would know. And yet it impacts. It impacts some family here or some brother or sister here. And to hear them that they matter their blessing to the church. Um, to remind someone who's under whatever weight God allows them to be under, that God loves them and you do too. Encouragement, man, I, I don't know, I can't fix it, but I'm not leaving you. Encouragement. Encouragement is life words. Life words are also gracious words. Colossians 4, Paul says, let your speech always, always, not sometimes, but always be gracious. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words, that's the same word, kind and gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I had my brain racing over names, people that I experienced in this church and I thought I won't embarrass them. But there are faces I thought of when I read this and I thought, 
That's all they ever do. Every time I'm with them, they have a bright, shiny face. They are seeing only the best. They are, they are gracious in their response to everything we're asking them to do. They're receiving and listening and humble. I mean, I'm just, I want to be with them. They don't even know it. You know these people too. You've bumped into a few in your life who your experience with them is nothing but kind and friendly and gracious. Life words are gracious words. Life words are also honest words. According to Proverbs, Solomon says in verse 26, the honest answer, an honest answer, is like a kiss of friendship. (laughs) Are we aware how much we lie to each other? I mean, it might not be just blatant out and out falsehoods. But you know the acceptable version of lying? Where, where we distort things and exaggerate things to win a point or to make a statement? Those kinds of lies? According to Solomon here, we bring life to one another by speaking the truth to each other. I don't have to tell you this, but you and I live in a passive-aggressive world. The invention for that is Twitter. In 140 characters, I can say anything I want to you that I wouldn't have the guts to say to you in person. And, uh, and they're honest at least, right? I think the church has a problem walking in honesty. I think the church has an issue with uh, loving each other enough to be honest in difficult conversations, to help each other grow in godliness and obedience. Now, let me just give you a caution. Life words are honest words, but before you run off and get honest with each other, let me put a caution issue on this. Remember this too. Honest words, although are very valuable, are not as valuable as choice words. Choice words are better. In fact, they're commanded. Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Again, this is Eugene Peterson. Love the way he says it. The right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. It's true. Someone saying in the perfect timing the right thing makes all the difference in the world. We understand this from Paul's perspective because we've heard this a thousand times from the pulpit. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, speak the truth to one another in love. Truth and love. Truth and love. Choice words are true words motivated by love. Let me just give you a suggestion. In fact, if you do this, we're better already if you just honor this next request. Let me just suggest to you that you shouldn't ever speak unless you love. If you know, I don't love this person, then keep your mouth shut because you can't obey the Bible. Speaking the truth in love. Now, if you love, honesty is a good thing. Relationship grows, but if you don't love someone, you just go, I'm gonna give them the truth. It isn't going anywhere. It's not gonna happen. One last thought. Life words are gentle words. Proverbs 17, 27, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever is understanding is even tempered. Proverbs 25, 17, through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. I love that. It paints a perfect picture of a couple realities. One is our hearts can be really hard towards each other. Picture a hardened bone. But gentleness has amazing power. That's what Solomon says here. I don't have uh, one illustration. I have a thousand illustrations of 
gentleness that crushed me. But whenever young man's starting out, you know, you have tension in your home, tension with your wife, you have disagreements, you're trying to sort it all out. And then you have a little kid. Little kid has big, bright blue eyes. He doesn't know anything. He just loves you and he loves her. And you start having a moment. And then little Ben puts his hands on my cheeks and goes, Daddy, why are you mad at Mommy? (laughs) Nothing else needs to be said. Gentle, broke a bone the hardness of opinion or feelings or whatever I felt like I needed to be understood about. Just done, just done. Simple words, a gentle response can break a bone. And I think there's a converse truth to this. If a gentle response, a gentle word can break a bone, then a harsh word can calcify it. You just need to know that. If you're just in the business of truth and saying it however you say it and take it or leave it, that's the way it's gonna be and it's gonna be hard and brace yourself the fact that nobody responds and nobody gets better and your relationship is stuck, well, I know why. Because you refuse to obey the Bible. Gentleness breaks the hardness of someone's position or someone's anger towards you. We've all seen that. Life words are gentle words. Let me finish with a couple of what do you do now? I had, by the way, you should be very thankful, I had a list of 10 each when I started. So because we were talking about words, I thought I'd eliminate words. Many words comes transgressions, so I saved myself from transgression. But what do you do? What do you do? Because everybody in here probably, probably has something running through your mind right now. Someone, some situation, some circumstance where you have blown it with your mouth. Words. You shot off death words and there's bodies all around. What do you do? Let me encourage you with two obvious things. There's nothing complicated here. Believe the gospel for your sin. Don't wallow in defeat and regret. Like every Sunday we come to this place and we look again at a text that exposes something that I'm prone to wander from, right? It's just a story. So if you're sitting here going, man, I am just, I'm the worst mouth in the room. My wife hates me because of my mouth. Well, here's what you don't do. Wallowing isn't the next step. I'll give you another step in just a second. Believe the gospel. It's good news. Sacrifice of atonement that makes you new and different. There's a reality of Jesus removing the so the charges can't stick. They're not there. Believe the good news and let it fan the affections to follow him. And here's the next step. Okay, there's activity involved. If there are people that are a part of the story of where your mouth has done damage, then go to that person or those persons and seek reconciliation. Tell them that you're convicted. That's a good word. The spirit did it without any agenda without any agenda, like they're gonna love you for saying it. Don't even have that in the story. Just simply come and say, my God has convicted me to say to you that I have said the wrong thing the wrong way at the wrong time, with the wrong emphasis, with the wrong goal. I've I've said it a thousand ways in the wrong way. Will you just forgive me and then walk free? Watch what that will do to your relationship. Either way, God is honored by your obedience. And if, if Proverbs does more with the tongue than any other particular subject, we can't make this a minor offense. This is a major offense. Major offense in the kingdom of God, so let's be tangible with it. I told you when we started Proverbs, it isn't getting easier. This is simple, simple stuff. 
father saying to his son, boy, watch your mouth. Think about what you say. Love other people when you say it. That isn't complicated, and that's not the first time you heard it. Let's walk in obedience, okay? Let's pray. Father God, I do pray for your help as we take something so simple, so basic, and yet so important, something like our tongue and the damage that it can do and the division it can bring and how it separates and reveals and all the things that we have learned this morning. My prayer today is that the power of the Spirit working in us would create a self-control in us that would actually have us measure our words, carefully use our words to bring about life to our family and friends. These gentle, encouraging, kind, timely words that in love make us more like our Savior. That's our prayer. God, do your work in your time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.